Welcome to All Things Photonics, a podcast about the physical science of light driving scientific innovation in the 21st century. I'm Joel Williams, Associate Editor at Photonics Media. Join us as we explore the latest trends in optics, lasers, microscopy, and spectroscopy. Each episode, you'll hear from leading voices from across the photonics landscape, brought to you by Photonics Media. With all due respect to pumpkin spice, apple picking, and Halloween, SPA's Optifab is what fall in the optics world is all about. Although the trade show and exhibition is only held on an every-other-year basis, the wait between shows only serves to heighten the anticipation that precedes this year's bona fide staple on the optics calendar. The show brings together experts in core optical technologies like metrology, optical fabrication, and profiling. It also provides opportunity to reacquaint with the Rochester optics community, including its luminary figures. The heart of the New York Photonics cluster is alive and well. All Things Photonics took in the show earlier this month, delving into key themes and discovering new product innovations from more than 115 industry firms. In today's episode, we bring you conversations that encapsulate two of our most striking takeaway themes, how optical approaches are being deployed to respond to global and societal challenges that extend beyond the industry, and an update on how workforce development efforts are intensifying in America's optics industry hotbeds. In our first segment, we visit with friend of the podcast, Dr. Chunle Guo of Rochester's Institute of Optics and the Guo Lab. Our conversation with Guo is our first since publication of a Nature Communications paper earlier this year, in which Guo and his collaborators advanced their phano-resonant optical coatings technology. By definition, the coatings, which were introduced in an acclaimed 2021 paper, simultaneously reflect and transmit a common wavelength. This means that thermal and photovoltaic bands of the solar spectrum can be separated to improve the efficiency of devices using hybrid thermal electric power generation as a solar energy option. In essence, the separation of those two bands via coating can prevent photovoltaic cells from overheating. Now, Guo updates us on his group's latest advance to the technology which incorporates structural coloration in a breakthrough that targets increased functionality. Later, we introduce you to Carolyn McMorrin, Assistant Vice President for Professional Continuing Education at Valencia College in Central Florida. Following New York's Monroe Community College and Colorado's Front Range Community College before it, Valencia College is debuting an all-new optics technician certification program. Working from the Monroe Community College model spearheaded by luminary industry figure Alexis Vogt, and with support from the American Center for Optics Manufacturing, or AMERICOM, Valencia's program is tackling the need for qualified optics industry technicians in one of the country's foremost industry hotbeds. We catch up with McMoran following this show as she and her colleagues set sail on the inaugural cohort of Valencia's new program. I'm Joel Williams. All Things Photonics' OptiFab 2023 episode is up next. Certainly one of the great joys of being at OptiFab in Rochester is the chance to catch up with members of the Rochester Optics Elite and our good friend, Dr. Chen Lei Guo, friend of the podcast, has come back to speak with us about his latest work and some other uh, relevant topics. Uh, Dr. Guo, thank you for making time for being here. It's always great to speak with you. I wanted to speak about some work that goes back a couple years. This, of course, is your uh, Fano Residence Optical Coatings work, or uh, FROX. 
Um, and I think to get us into the latest work, it might be helpful to take a step back. Tell us about Frox and what they aim to do, because it's a very advanced coding technology. Right. Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks, Jake, for having me here. So the work we did on the coding, one big work a couple of years ago was this so-called final resonance optical coding. And in that work, basically, we were aimed at developing a new type of uh, optical coding. So if you're looking at the coding industry, although it's a very mature industry and technology, there are actually only a few types of coatings. There may be a metal, uh, metal coating, broadband reflection, and then there may be uh, anti-reflection coatings with the multi-layer dielectrics, and there's uh, probably like a narrow band transmission things, for example, the Fabric Pro, Athlons. So um, if you're looking at this very few limited uh, number of coatings, there's one missing is um, it's not that easy to make a narrow band reflective coating. Well, you do have a black reflector. And in order to have a narrow band reflection, you do have to have many, many layers, usually in order to have a very narrow bandwidth and have a high distinction ratio. And you have, it's not atypical, you have to look at tens of layers and high refractive index, low refractive index, this alternating layers. And then eventually you are going to have a very thick Black reflector, obviously, it will be costly, although it's very mature. And at that point, we were exploring to find an alternative way to uh, obtain a narrow band uh, reflective coating that came to our uh, final resonance optical coating technology. So we simply use a four-layer configuration that consists of a narrow band absorber, which is a uh, typically, is a metal dielectric metal layer, okay, three layer, and then on top we have a broadband absorber. Usually, only have a a uh, dielectric layer plus a metal layer. So we share the metal layer and between the broadband absorber and the narrowband absorber, and then when we put these four layers together, magic happens. We can have this a very uh, narrow band reflection only with four layers so we can achieve something that you have to have tens of layers and far more extensively made black reflection coating. So the latest work that you and your collaborators have spearheaded uh, appeared in July of this year in Nature Communications and you took this Frox work and you applied it or pivoted in a direction that I think was certainly a surprise to us. You, you began to incorporate structural coloration and that of course we hear a lot about with, with things like butterfly wings and peacock tail feathers. Uh, a lot of beauty in that but also some really interesting applications too. Yeah, yeah. So uh, structural coloring have um, has a lot of different applications. So uh, basically, uh, it's a way you can replace a lot of applications for pigmentation. For instance, we can, uh, with uh, structural coloring, obviously you'll find application in, uh, in decoration, displays, even for sensing, data storage, camouflage, and counterfeit, you know, a range of different applications. That's right, certainly. Yeah, security, yeah. Right, right. So certainly... It's a direction we would like to uh, have Frog to uh, shine. Mm -hmm. yeah. So was this was the desire to move towards or incorporate structural coloration? Was this your idea or a group decision? Because, again, we, we do hear of some 
like um, ambient gas sensing, for example, and there's some nice tie-ins with plasmonics too. But it's not a technology area that you hear applied with coatings a lot. Well, it's actually a, a very natural extension for our original uh, frog work because the frog technology when we developed this is for narrow band optical reflection, right? So if you can have a, a very narrow spectral color reflected, you will be able to uh, potentially achieve high purity coloring. And that's actually a, when we work on that, frog problem we already had this uh, structure coloring in mm-hmm. mind it just uh, the work grew too big at the time and then we decided we're going to uh, uh, thoroughly devote another work into the structure coloring you mentioned the maturation of the coatings market and it's true it, it's not a technology area where you see a number of breakthrough new advances i suppose the best gauge or measurement for the significance of the advances, how immediately impactful can it be for industry? Um, Certainly that's been a consideration for your work on frocks. Just talk a little bit about um, that consideration, because certainly that's an important dynamic of all this. Well, I think the most important uh, feature for frocks is actually more scalable and easier to make compared to other type of coatings. Now, the direct comparison, as I mentioned earlier, for the frog narrow band reflection will be compared to a black reflector, multi-layer dielectric coatings. So uh, the difference is in order for us to obtain a very high purity, narrow band reflection. Now for frog, we only need four layers. But on the other hand, for a black reflector type of coating, you need so many more. And usually it will be at least an order of magnitude thicker. So it will be more costly accordingly. We know Chile Guo for, for any number of works, but I suppose the, the claim to fame here is your work with femtosecond lasers and metal etching as well. Um, and you've earned quite a bit of a claim in that area um, for super wicking or hydrophilic black metal panels. And the, the target there was clean water. That was the ultimate goal of some of that work that we've discussed uh, on the podcast and others. At the conference, there's actually been a lot of discussion around um, next generation super hydrophobic uh, coating materials. And I think a lot of the um, impetus for that work is these new forever chemical pieces of legislation and conversations. This was a consideration for you, environmentally friendly um, laser enabled work for, for many years. But it's been three years since we spoke on the podcast. So curious to get your thoughts on how focus in that area has, has grown because you know, we have a number of experts who are, are in the laser space and certainly in the coding space just here at the conference, and that really does seem to have become a focus area. Uh, well, I'm glad to hear there are a lot more people uh, having uh, increased awareness about the issues for using the harsh chemicals, like you mentioned, the forever chemical. And when we had uh, originally have the laser processing and the, the key feature is, is a physical process. And we wanted to avoid using the chemical coatings. And then you can texture structuring the uh, material surface through laser beam processing. And I'm actually glad. And now we come to the right direction so that we can uh, continue to push uh, the physical process instead of the chemical coatings. Yeah. There's a lot that can be done with lasers, in fact, uh, as it turns out. Uh, now, I wanted to ask, we saw a plenary session earlier today talking about uh, workforce initiatives, uh, you know, some that are uh, that Americom's working on. 
And, you know, particularly in the Rochester area, you know, there's a lot of focus on building the optics workforce. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I wanted to ask about your experience at the University of Rochester. You know, are you seeing more enrollment? Are you seeing, uh, you know, a lot more interest in your uh, your program? I think uh, definitely the department has tried very hard to push to expand our education. And indeed, we have plans to expand the program and in the next number of years, in in the next actually 10 years or so. And while the recent experience was what also coincide with COVID uh, period, I think our department has had this program that we can take students. They don't have to be full-time physically come to Rochester and study optics, but we can do the remote learning and teaching so that we can get far more uh, students from across the country or even across the world to uh, participate in our optical education. I think it's definitely maybe COVID gave us an opportunity to expand our program to a broader reach. You know, the, again, part of the, the, the beauty in being in Rochester for us is we get to see up close some of the, um, the people and the initiatives that are really on the ground and making a difference. And I think one of the things that's interesting with the U of R is that there's certainly the Institute of Optics, but there's also the uh, Laboratory for Laser Energetics. And, and that whole discipline, these large light sources and what they can do, mm-hmm. has been thrust at the spotlight with um, the development late last year, uh, Fusion Ignition. I'm um, curious if there's a trickle-down effect for you, because you are right there at the University um, of Rochester and the Institute of Optics, but there's also this very large, powerful laser system. Just wondering if there's any cross-disciplinary uh, activity there, um, and if that is uh, reaching you. Oh, um, yeah, we we uh, always are, are interested in uh, doing collaborative work with the people at the, uh, our big laser facility. And well, myself is actually our senior scientist associated with the LLE laser lab as well. Uh, I think always we can draw a comparison for our large uh, laser lab. They wanted to achieve both high power and high energy. But in my laboratory, uh, when I teach the course, we often to draw a comparison our femtosecond laser technology versus slightly longer pulse, but far more energetic uh, laser source. It's always an interesting thing for for me to uh, discussing how the femtosecond laser uh, in a laboratory, a single maybe investigator laboratory, how is the, in terms of intensity, how we can compete with a much larger facility. On the other hand, a lot more work, you just need that amount of energy and power. I think having a facility on campus, this is a great opportunity if we wanted to do those type of research, we have a place to go. It's certainly a dynamic environment, and, and I think being at Optifab, we only get to come to Rochester for this event once every other year, but it's clear every time we're here just sort of the, the, the power of the work that's being done because it's affecting in a positive way uh, a large population of the optics and photonics community. I want to just end with this. I mean, we have been privileged to, to know you and speak with you several times on the podcast and follow your work, certainly, with Frox and beyond. Uh, what's the latest in uh, the Guo Laboratory? Well, interestingly, um, so we, uh, for both uh, the topics we, we touched upon, including the optical coatings and also our a larger component in my laboratory, laser material processing. So we developed this a range of technologies. And for instance, we functionalize the surfaces and we can turn a surface to different colors, 
to uh, enhance the optical absorption. We can make it hydrophilic, hydrophobic, and, man and manipulate the interaction of the surface with water. So today, actually, we have a very strong push in the applications of utilizing these functionalized surfaces, and particularly in the energy and the sanitation and the, and sustainability domains. And my lab today actually devote quite a bit of effort, a very significant amount of effort in the energy application. So for instance, we wanted to utilize our optically altered surface. Should it be laser treated or should it be optical coating? This is a very scalable optical coating so that we can uh, uh, make it far more efficient, absorb the solar energy, and then we can uh, utilize our superhydrophilic, superhydrophobic effects to, uh, for instance, purify water, and, and we can achieve the clean water from the dirty source, or we can go out to the ocean and to uh, purify the water and desalination. And we know both directions have a lot of impacts for today's more environmentally conscious world and on one hand there's a there are a lot of poor regions they need drinkable water from a limited resource on the other hand there are a lot of rich regions but they don't have a limited amount of fresh water source but they have a huge ocean lying beside and for instance california or Gulf region in the Middle East and those regions and desalination and it's definitely a very important thing for people to consider in the years ahead. suppose it should come as no surprise we come to a trade show and conference and one of the hot topics that people are talking about is environmental consciousness and awareness and it's something of course that the Global Lab has been putting at the fore for years now. Uh, Chen Li, thank you so much for speaking uh, with us again today here. It's been a great pleasure. It always is to catch up with you. Best of luck in all your pursuits and enjoy the rest of the show. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much for having me here. In nearly 30 years of workforce development experience, Valencia College's Carolyn McMorrin has both deciphered and worked to bridge the talent gaps and fundamental needs that exist in industry. The industry sectors that permeate Central Florida offer a distinct range of opportunities for workforce members, and in its latest undertaking, Valencia College has homed in on one that is abound with potential, optics, and in particular, precision fabrication and technicianship. McMorrin, who joined the 2023 OptiFab Plenary Presentation Panel to discuss workforce needs and initiatives, joins us for an up-close look at Valencia's newest program. In our conversation, we look at the needs of the Orlando area's optics industry, as well as how the Rochester model applies to a workforce population and technical field with burgeoning potential. You know, I think those who, who have an understanding of the optics and photonics industry, even globally, have a pretty good understanding of the Monroe Community College um, MCC alignment with Americom and, and workforce and technician training in Rochester. Uh, and there's obviously a reason that that is viewed as the gold standard. First, it's likely the best um, for what it does. And there's ample reason to, to take that model around the country. Um, and that's what's happening at Valencia College. But that isn't to say necessarily that the Rochester model needs to be mimicked because there's a distinct optics and photonics feel and workforce need in Central Florida. So I'd like to begin by having you identify that need in the flavor of the optics and photonics community in Orlando and that cluster. 
Sure. So about two years ago, um, which is, like I said, very serendipitous for today because we're starting our program tonight. But two years ago, Lockheed Martin reached out to Valencia uh, with the need for training optics fabrication technicians. And we have a long history of serving our wonderful employer partner, Lockheed Martin, by providing a lot of technicians in the CNC area, electronic board assembly. So it was a very natural request that they came to us and and said, hey, we would really like to invest in in getting some optics technicians up to speed. And then as we worked with local companies around uh, the Orlando, Central Florida area, we started to learn that not only um, do our companies need optics fabrication technicians, but they also need optical assembly Uh, some basic photonic skills and basic fiber optic skills as it relates to optics and photonics. And so that's how we've kind of taken the great work that's been done at Monroe, but also made it to our community um, so that our students will have so many opportunities to go to work for a variety of different organizations here in Central Florida. I alluded to this, and it's, it's a fascinating thing that is somewhat unique to the optics and photonics world. You have clusters. Um, you have the, the New York photonics cluster. You have the Florida cluster. Um, you're right in the heart of that. You have the Arizona cluster. There are others, Colorado, Montana. Mm-hmm. The connection that MCC has with the distinct needs of the Rochester cluster. Curious if that is uh, on your mind. You spoke to this a moment ago, but Florida, Central Florida has got a pretty robust optics sector with its own needs. And, and is there any alignment there with, with UCF Creole or, or the industry partners? Oh, yes. Um, So Creole has been an amazing supporter of our program so far. Obviously, they get approached uh, quite frequently. And even Dean Hagen has said, you know, I'm I'm. I get asked that question all the time. Where can I find the technicians? It's probably us asking them. <laughs> <laughs> it's really important. And and I think um, something else that really um, dovetails into this question is Americom has predicted that it takes 10 technicians for every one engineer. And I think that's what's so special about our program. And then the ecosystem here in Central Florida and Creole is now that we have the complete educational ecosystem. So you can start as a baseline technician with Valencia, articulate to an AS degree in engineering technology. Those degrees dovetail into the bachelor's degree at Creole, master's and PhD. Now, obviously, not all of our students will follow along that path, but just knowing that that exists for our students as an opportunity for their education, I think is a really exciting thing in Central Florida. You and your colleagues from Front Range Community College and, of course, MCC joined the plenary panel at uh, SPIE OptiFab last week uh, as we sit here and chat now. There are needs in, in every community. And there are industries that sort of flavor or influence every community. Central Florida, even beyond optics, has that. Uh, And this affects or influences, anyway, the type of students that I think you're apt to see in your program. Yes. Obviously, Central Florida is known for all the great hospitality uh, venues that we have here. Uh, But our programs in the trades area, and I call it high-tech trades area, are attracting many career changers. Sometimes people just fall into a job and they look up and then 14 years later, they're still doing that job. I think what's really exciting about our students, and this is what we tell them, is we're preparing you for a career. And these students are going to get into a field that is just growing and morphing. 
and and there's so many exciting things uh, to Central Florida and the optics photonics community that I think are on the horizon. And these students are going to have a great career path to follow. And I think uh, part of what gets programs such as the Precision Optics Program at Valencia College and others like it moving so quickly is the the partnership and collaboration direct with industry. Uh, and certainly that's a big player here uh, for the new Valencia College Program. Absolutely. Uh, we could not have done it without our industry partners and all the great support that we've gotten from Monroe and Americom. That is the reason we are going to launch a program tonight is because of that industry support. And I, I have a saying that intentional collaboration moves the needle. And when employers and community colleges can get together, and this means beyond an advisory board, you know, this is this is really sitting down, mapping through detail by detail of what's going to be taught. What are the skill sets that you need these students to have? The industry certifications that matter. It's all of that work that really produces a result that everyone is happy with. I want to build on that. You know, where exactly is the opportunity for industry? Is it in influencing the course curriculum? Is it in actually um teaching the course? Is it in aligning itself with those who are teaching the course? All of those and more? All of those and more, but I would say that definitely sitting down and being very intentional about what's taught, you know, that's kind of a painful process to go through sometimes. And so um, just industry being patient and working through that with us. I'll tell you kind of a, a unique thing that Lockheed did is they sent out an internal newsletter article throughout all the channels in Lockheed. I mean, there are so many people that work there. And I often say that the people who do the job today are the best recruiters because they everybody knows somebody. Everybody has a neighbor, a niece, a nephew. I was getting emails from Lockheed employees that says, my 23-year-old nephew needs to get in your program. And um, that was just game changing for us. It produced so many leads. Americom did a special marketing campaign just for our area, which resulted in multiple leads. And so just simple things like that is how an employer can get engaged. It costs them no money, a little effort, and it just makes a big win for getting students interested in the program. Curious if you have a sense of the uh, profile, the typical, if there is a uh, typical yet, uh, type of student who you're uh, foreseeing enter the Valencia College program. Yes. Um, so we just did some initial stats and we have uh, nine males and seven females, which I'm super excited about because I know that attracting women to optics and photonics is um, a major push that we have around the country. Our average age is 33. And so what that should tell you is that these are career changers. These are people who have been employed. Many of them still are employed, and they're going to work their day job and come to school at night. And if I were an employer, that's exactly the person that I want to attract because we've removed that stigma. First of all, we've we've helped them understand about photo optics and photonics as a career field, and we've vetted them. We've gotten them into the program. Many of our students are getting funding, so they're going to leave the program debt-free, which is also a major win. And um, it's just going to be a great um, experience, I think, for not only the students, but also the employers to get this high-end, very skilled talent right into their industry. And you've talked about optical fabrication and assembly, work with optical fiber, and all of the potential applications there. But the optics industry, like any other, is changing, uh, often rapidly. It's evolving. 
just want to end with this. What are the supports that the Americoms and the UCF Creoles and the advisory board and industry are putting in place to make sure that this course not just presents the baseline skills, but really meets the needs of the students who are going to become professionals in this industry? Yeah, I think that's almost going to happen very organically just because of the different industries that are teaching in the program. I mean, we have all different facets of industry, over 300 years of industry expertise coming to the table. And I think that that is just going to continue to make the program, like you said, not only those baseline skills, but also looking at the future. Um, We're actually going to have Margaret Dominguez come in from NASA Goddard to talk about the work that she's doing on the Roman telescope. Again, just creating these opportunities for the students to see beyond today and what could be possible for them in the future. And I think that's what's so exciting about the work that we do here. Exciting times at Valencia College as the program and the college get ready to uh, kick off the Precision Optics program at a number of hours here as we speak with Carolyn McMorrin, who will play a leading role in getting that program up and running. I want to thank you, Carolyn, for spending some time with us and best of luck moving forward with the program. Thank you. That concludes this week's episode of All Things Photonics. Thank you to our engineer, Alan Shepard, and to our news editor, Jake Saltzman, as well as to this week's sponsors. Our featured music is courtesy of betterwithmusic.com. Most of all, thank you, our listeners. As always, you can share your thoughts, pitch us ideas, and let us know how we're doing. You can reach us at allthingsphotonics.com. All Things Photonics is available on all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, as well as on our website, photonics.com.